wow, look at this. It's not, it's not often that we come together anymore, man. So it's like every time it happens, it's like a, it's a celebration. Well, it is right now too, man. There's so much going on in the celebrate sports world. Celebrate good times. Come on. What are you going to hit us with that new? Uh, oh, it's coming. Intro song. I'm, you know what I, you know what I decided? Well, we decided, you decided in, in a, in a um, telepathic way that 75. Okay. In honor of the NBA, you know, one of our favorite pastimes and their 75th anniversary, number 75. Episode 75 will be the official release of the next edition of the Sports Psych MD can't soundtrack. Wait, can't wait. And to, well, today's episode 71, so mm-hmm. we're not too far away. And welcome. I'm Tori Trojo, and this is my co-host. With the mo-host, Dr. Armin Hose. All right, we're here. We're back. We're back. We're, we're, we're trying to our monthly releases here. Pimping them. And today, like I said, this is a huge... Rolling cut. down the street. Sorry. Looking endo, sipping on sipping gin on. and juice. What laid back? With my mind, I'm a money. And my money, I'm a mind. All right. You had to finish the verse. You had to. All right. Cool. Yeah. We got a lot of good sports going on right now. Today is April 7th. We're going to get this out as soon as we can because LT Gray back on the Masters Green. I don't. I don't want to tease well, this too much. And because we we didn't. And because we did. We left you in March, right? We we let we left you without a dope beat to step, step to two. in March. Step so two. Exactly. Make up for that. All right. We got With April showers. Bring May flowers. <laughs> All right. Let's focus in here. So today is going to be the theme. Today is self awareness or awareness overall. Mm-hmm. And we want to tie in, if you're thinking mental fitness, you're thinking mindfulness and you're thinking self-awareness. And today's all about that. And we're going to touch on multiple different examples. We're first going to describe how, why it's important to be self-aware and have awareness. And then we're going to go into detail about the current events in sports and what are some individuals and some teams that are showing self-awareness or that are lacking self-awareness. And it's just so happens this kind of is also, we're going to highlight some some goats in their field or some legends in their field. If they're not, if they're not the goats and goats in the field, goats in the field. I love it. Just chomping away. Right. On all that grass. This is a beautiful time in sports. Let's think about it as a viewer. We have arguably some of the best athletes playing and competing still, even if they're not in their prime, they are still out there crushing it. We got Tom Brady. We got Tiger Woods. We got LeBron James. They're all out there and they're all still crushing it. Well, Kinda. No, they're out there, man. They're they're not they're not all winning at the level, you know, the high level, the highest level that they used to, that they once did. But man, they're still at the top of the game. They're still MVP candidates, mm-hmm. right? Oof. So uh, let's go ahead and, and jump in, and we'll leave with this. One of the goats we're talking about actually just retired, so that's what we're going to lead with, but let's go ahead and hit the music and jump into episode 71 of the Sports Psych Indies podcast. Didn't you just come back from retirement? Do, do you feel me? Do you feel me? Do you feel me? All right, all right, all right, all right. So yeah, Armin, you touched on this. There's two individuals that just retired, but one just unretired. Who do you want to start with? The one that just unretired? I think I think we have to. We didn't really touch on him. I think we had the podcast, our last podcast, after the retirement, but we didn't touch on it because I think both of us kind of felt like, uh, we don't know if he's actually going to be gone. And here he is, Tom Brady. 
the yeah. goat of NFL quarterbacking? It was hard for me to imagine personally, just because like, I mean, okay. Everyone who's a sports fan, at least in this country, understands that American football is, is what it's all about. It's the biggest market and the quarterback position is like, that's the most kind of illustrious position of them all on a football team. So Tom Brady being the greatest quarterback of all time, possibly, probably the best player of all time, man, right. For him to just kind of go out like that, sort of under the radar, no kind of like going away ceremony, no goodbye, no farewell um, tour, right? It, it just kind of, kind of happened like very soon. I was like, no, there's something not right about this, especially because mm-hmm. you expect a guy like him to want yeah. to go out and on top. Obviously right? he wants to do that. And he kind of came back in the same unceremonious way, just with a tweet. He said, I got some less than two months after quote unquote retiring. He says, I got some unfinished business and he's back to try to lead the Tampa Bay Buccaneers unless a breaking trade happens at some point to uh, an NFL championship. And guess what? He's showing self-awareness and awareness in this situation or situational awareness, if you have you. And I guess, do we want to go ahead and describe what it means to be self-aware and why it's so important to be self-aware before we touch onto the specifics? I think we should. It's the ability to see yourself clearly and objectively through reflection. No, you don't don't read it off. That's not your style. Oh, okay. Okay. You're right. You're right. That's not it. You're right. I was just, I think I was just morphing into you for a moment. Yeah. I wasn't being self-aware enough. So you, so, you know, we know about yeah. mindfulness, right? We preach this all the time. It's about being yes. <laughs> kind of present in the moment, aware yes. of your thoughts, feelings, and emotions, and not reacting uh, on those and just being present and just allowing things to come and go without giving any extra negative or, or positive attention. Self-awareness is an extension of that. It is. It is. And it's so important for being present, right? We're really harnessing the present moment and and by present moment we're really talking about like the next step forward right in your activity just just think about where you are in your day at any given moment and what are your you know what are your next couple of steps like what are the things you have to do right now right to kind of really make the best of the situation you have mm-hmm. yeah and i think for self-awareness it's that ability to try to see yourself as objectively and as clearly as possible without yeah, being yeah. biased one way or the other. Cause let's face it, there we all go. have a skewed perception as to who we are. And mm. it's really tough to see yourself as how other people see yourself or, or for who you truly are and whatever, whatever that means. So how do you, how do you gain this self-awareness and why is it important? And then how do you pair that self-awareness with the situational awareness, right? Which is kind of the who, what, when, and where of what's going on, you know, that's the concrete stuff. Not the abstract stuff, like the how and why, but you know, the, the concrete stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So when you're talking about self-awareness, the first step to get there is to really try to hone in on, okay, the simplest thing is to, to realize what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, and what do you value? So when it comes to that, the reason why you want to know what your strengths are and why you want to know your, what your weaknesses are, we've talked about this in several different podcasts, when you have strengths, you want to lean on those, right? You want to use those to your advantage, especially in competition. Like if you're not the biggest guy, then you're, you're not going to want to try to use your, your body or your strength to get by someone. If you're playing football, you're not, if you're a, 
a smaller, faster running back that that's going up against a 300 pound lineman, you're not going to try to run that guy over, right? No, you're going to try to run around it. You're going to try to use your quickness, your strength, your yeah. advantage in that situation. Self awareness. Exactly. So that's a that's a concrete version. What? Why is it important to know your weaknesses? Well, you want to try to avoid situations where your weaknesses may be exploited. Right. And I guess an example would, uh, I, this just came to mind, but a poor example of that may be when Ben Simmons, he knows his weaknesses is a, a free throw shooting. So he avoids taking wide open layup in a, in a what was it, a game six or game seven playoff when Trey, Trey uh, Young is guarding him because he doesn't want to go to the free throw line because he knows that's a weakness of his. Um, that's not really the best example. Oh, it's a great example. It's a great example of positive self-awareness, but, but negative situational awareness. There you go. It's negative situational awareness. So maybe this is advanced metrics, but it's negative situational awareness because in that particular moment, that was the wrong choice because this is the playoffs, you know, it's a huge moment, huge part of the game, just, you know, and if anything, you want to show mental toughness in that moment to the best of your mm -hmm. ability. That's the only way you, you, know, you want to be in that particular yeah. situation. I guess a better example would be if you're the coach of a football team and you know that your kickers already missed three field goals and it's a rainy, windy day and you got what fourth and three from the 28 yard line, maybe you're going to go for it in that situation. Avoid putting your, your weakness, your special team's weakness on the field and, and put it in your uh, quarterback's hands if you think that's a strength. Um, so that's one reason why yeah. you need to know your weaknesses. Good the call. other thing is you want to try mm -hmm. to strengthen those. Just because you start off with a weakness doesn't mean it has to stay a weakness. Oh. You can pay extra attention to those in order to strengthen Dang. those. And what? hey, guess what? Your weaknesses can become strengths. Right. If you think about it this way, all of us started off with weaknesses when it came to athletics. Unless you're you're born like LeBron James and came out with tons of athletic ability. At some point in his life, he wasn't the best athlete. He didn't know how to dribble or shoot a basketball. He learned how to do that. He did, and he kept at it, man. So he kept we can at also, it, yeah. right? And this is the thing. Learning is an ongoing process. It really doesn't ever end, right? You know, yes, we have graduations and so forth, these ceremonies, but it's really just to, to actually step up in elevation right? It's not like to like a termination point. Learning in greatness, in, in performance, in mindfulness is a process that's, that's constantly evolving. That's everlasting, mm -hmm. right? It really is. Yeah, absolutely. So this is all part of how, how do you increase your self-awareness? It's through that introspection. It's through that reflection. It's through taking a step back and actually like critically analyzing these things. If you're a professional athlete and you're going through a slump in the off season, or maybe even in the season, you need to take stock on, okay, what are the things, what are my weaknesses right now? What are the things I need to improve to become a better player? Okay. What are the things I'm doing? Well, let me lean on those for now to kind of help me get through my slump. Another thing when it comes to self-reflection is knowing, okay, what are my core values? What do I value the most? So if you're in that slump as a player, maybe you start to think back, okay, why am I playing the game? What's my why? Like, what's like, why did I get into basketball in the first place? And that's going to be revigorating, right? That's going to give you a renewed sense of, Ooh. of gratitude. A purpose. Ooh, yeah. That's your, that's your sense of purpose. It, that's your grounding force, right? Your gravity. That's it. Yeah. That's your center point. That's your inertia that, that gets you to the ground, that helps you understand what this is about. And it's sort of this great culmination of self 
awareness and situational mm-hmm. awareness, you know, when, you, when, when you've achieved that. And that's what makes so many of the, the best athletes in the world and so many professional athletes in the world great at what they do is they, all, they have periods of self-reflection throughout their careers. It's not just something mm-hmm. you don't want to wait until you're retired or you don't want to wait until your 10th year to do it. This is something you want to check in with yourself throughout the season, throughout the year, throughout your training to see where you're at. Like we, we mentioned smarter goals. What is the R in smarter goals? Re, reevaluation. You got to reevaluate your goals, reevaluate where you're at. The, the, the second R. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. So this is one of these, those things where gaining self-awareness is a practice and it takes time and it can take continuing nurturing. And it, we always say practice because that's something you have to do on a day-to-day basis to get good at it. And overall you become, you get to the point where you're, you're not only aware, more aware of your strengths and your weaknesses, but you're also more aware of who, who you are, your core values. And through that, you, it's much easier to become more aware of your emotional triggers, your biases, and how your kind of thoughts, feelings, and actions are all interconnected. Now, that's a little bit more defenses. cognitive behavioral defenses. therapy and more that's right. kind of psychological base. So that's kind of next level. That's that emotional a maturity that we've talked that's about right. before. So that's, that's kind of next level. Um, so the more concrete thing is, is what you value, what are strengths, what are your weaknesses, the next level is like, okay, okay, what, how do my emotions and my thoughts affect my behavior? Well, it is so important to know that too, because, you know, like we talk a lot about sports analogies, you know, and how it applies to mental health here and what you're describing right now, these cognitive distortions, these different mechanisms that we have, like, you know, we, we sort of overgeneralize, um, you know, or, you know, we go into denial, right? We, we have a lot of these kind of traps that we get, get ourselves into. And these are examples of defenses, right? All sports has a defense, right? It's some sort of concept of defense. Um, and in, in life, it, we ourselves, right? We have our own defenses. Now, sometimes, those defenses can work for us. And sometimes they can work against us, just like in on yeah. the field, right? Or on the court. One of the most mature defenses is uh, humor. So a lot of <laughs> whoever you know that's right. funny out there is, is usually um, coping with some sort of, or, or putting a defense up to protect their uh, vulnerability or their fragility in a way. So, right. um, but that's a mature way to think about it. I kind of want to go back to the, the, the Ben Simmons situation we talked touched on with him specifically on the court not taking that layup in a clutch game um you meant we mentioned that how he maybe had he had awareness that he didn't want to his weakness is going to the free throw line in the clutch and he didn't want to put himself in that situation out out of fear fearing that vulnerability he didn't want to be exposed he didn't want there didn't that fragility was there strictly basketball speaking and in that situation decided to pass the ball off so maybe self-aware, but like you said, lacked the situational awareness. So he allowed, we could say that possibly the emotions of that moment, the fear, the avoidance of, of wanting to, to put his weakness on display, that emotion impacted his behavior, which negatively impacted the team. So you could argue that that showed a lack of overall awareness of what the situation required. Yeah. And it's so important when you're in a team, I mean, anytime, right. You're in performance. It's, it's, it's super important to have the self-awareness, but especially when you're in a team, because 
your role, your piece of the puzzle, right, directly influences everyone out, everyone else out there, right? So it's you're a collective unit, you're a whole. So if you're not doing your job, right, if you're not coming through with what everyone else expects you to do, which you guys practiced for together, right, then it, it just everyone loses, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Everyone loses. So in that situation, how it could have been avoided would be, we talked about learning self-awareness takes time, takes practice. So in a situation like this, when you're not a good free throw shooter, when the, when the pressure can get to you at times, what do you do? You, you become aware of that through practice. Obviously, this is something that an individual, that a professional athlete should become aware of, right? Their, their own weaknesses on the court. And you got to practice that. You got to try to turn that weakness into something that's maybe not going to be strength, but maybe it's going to be something where you're going to at least feel confident and not feel, be fearful or scared to put yourself in that situation at the very least. So maybe your free throw percentage with tons and tons of practice doesn't go up 10, 20%. Maybe it only goes up 5%, but you're more confident going to the line despite that. So in a situation like that, where your team's back against the wall, I mean, it's not ideal that you're, you have a 55 or whatever percent free throw shooter going to the line, but it's better than skipping a wide open layup because the percentage is there where that most likely you can make that, you make that layup. And it's just a small risk to go to the free throw line. So that's a situation where if that individual is working on self-awareness or they're working on their free throws, but more importantly, they're working on developing confidence with at least going to the free throw line by putting themselves that putting themselves in that situation, trying to mimic that situation as much as possible throughout the season, throughout practice, hitting free throws at the end of practice, when you're absolutely drained, having distractions, eventually over time, that weakness it, it may still be a weakness percentage wise, but you're going to have the confidence to still go through and do that. And then that's going to lead to better situational awareness because your emotions, your emotions aren't going to, that fear isn't going to be there anymore. So that fear is not going to direct your behavior to end up costing your team a chance to win the game. There you go. Confidence, you know, confidence could almost be stated as, a, as like the inverse of fear, you know, in some ways. Um, and the, and the, be the beauty of that is, I just want to touch on it real quick. Of course. In that situation, fear was avoided. When you're confident, fear is not avoided because fear is inevitable. You need to be confident in putting yourself in those situations. So I just want to touch on that because in the situation, fear was avoided by not going to the free throw line. Yeah, you don't want to avoid. When you're confident, you put yourself in that challenging situation because you know as we all know the more you challenge yourself the more confident you become right energy is neither created or destroyed right and it just transfers right into other means and it's keeping you know and, and, and this is really about creating positive energy and then sustaining that energy right over time and in in a way where you're working towards momentum, right? And momentum means that you're actually, you're confident, right? So your confidence is enabling you to, to perform at a high level, even without the same amount of effort, you know, as you once had to, to put into it, right? Because your, your work speaks for yourself, your practice speaks for yourself. This may be a little jumbled up. And if you're more of a visual learner, head to our website, sportslikemds.com. We got resources up there. We got a nice kind of flow chart that kind of explains this progression. Because 
if you're able to get to the point where you have improved your self-awareness, that means you've improved your confidence and you improved your chances of getting into the flow state, getting into the zone and being able to take advantage of that momentum, which is so important in sports. So important. And you know, this is this, this, so this, cool, this thing though, this competition gets crazy, you know, it starts getting complicated because, you know, and we're not going to get that deep into it, but it's like, look, you can have a mixed bag, right? You can have situations where you have an athlete that's traditionally throughout their career been very self-aware, but then has a moment of weakness, you know, a moment of, or lack thereof mindfulness in which, you know, they're not really applying self-awareness or situational awareness and, and where it can lead to, you know, some, some serious issues, right. In terms of like how, how things play out with your career. Like let's think about LeBron James and, you know, sort of what played out in Los Angeles this past season. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll get to him, but we, we already mentioned Tom Brady Mm -hmm. a little bit. But before we jump into the specific athletes we're going to talk about today, I want to talk about one last piece of, Absolutely. of self-awareness. And this is self, self-control. self And this ties in specifically to, I think, what we're going to talk about with LeBron and the Lakers. Indeed. Is when you're, when you're being self-aware, you're, you're, you're performing self-control, meaning you're constantly kind of reevaluating and asking yourself different questions. For example, am I the best person for the job? Am I the most capable and most importantly, do I need help? Wow. I think these are important questions to ask yourself because a lot of these professional athletes, a lot of people, it's it's really hard to look at our weaknesses objectively. The tough questions. Those are tough questions for sure. And professional athletes, we've been the best, not we as me, but professional athletes have been the best at their position since they were little kids. So at some point when they become pros, obviously they're not going to be the best. Only a select few are going to be the best. So you have to learn how to lean on other people. So it's very important at times to be able to see, okay, I like basketball. It's just a great, we've talked off Mike about how basketball is one of the best team sports. So we bring it up a lot as an example, but maybe you're not the best ball handler at the end of the game or the person that should have the ball in their hands. Maybe you're the defensive guy or girl. So you're going to do your part on the defensive end and give the ball up on the offensive end you know that you're not the best person for the job of taking that last shot because maybe you know you get a little bit nervous at the end, but you're not going to put yourself and your team in a bad situation because you have that awareness. So it's important to ask for help. And this is going to be something we'll, we'll touch back on when we talk about LeBron later. But uh, before we get into that, let's get back to Tom Brady. And this will be quick because we got some other high-profile athletes we want to get to. But for Tom Brady, I think, he obviously very self-aware. I mean, this unretirement retirement thing was a little odd, but when you get to a certain level, you get you you feel like you can pretty much do anything you want. So I don't blame these like mega athletes to kind of be making these kind of awkward decisions. But he, I think, what he realized is kind of situational awareness-wise, the NFC's weak. Aaron Rodgers' team is depleted, even though he's coming back. Okay, we got the defending champs, the Rams. They're going to be a solid bet. But I mean, I don't know, think anyone can argue, but the best quarterback talent and best teams are in the AFC at this point. So he and then the NFC South, which he plays in, they should be able to win that. And he has a great shot at uh, making another Super Bowl. So why not come back? He literally was second in MVP voting last year. Yeah. I mean, it's still money on the table, right? I mean, there's a lot of money there that he could make next year. And there's a lot more success to have. I mean, 
the reality is, and we're kind of seeing this with, uh, with Kareem's scoring title in the NBA, like, you never know. I mean, I don't think 20 years ago anybody, you know, could have imagined a guy like LeBron James coming into the league and eventually surpassing that record, particularly given that he's not really like a scorer. You know, that's not don't tell him that. really his primary mission out there. His primary mission is really as a playmaker, as he's an all-time playmaker. But he can score, you know, but it's like, man, like he got that record or he's going to have that record most likely. And so when you're thinking about Tom, I mean, he's like, well, who knows what could happen 20, 30 years from now. Maybe we'll be a guy that could come around and, and get six, seven, six or seven of these Super Bowls. So, you know, I got to take what the defense yeah. gives me. And I think he, he you know? spent some time at home, took a little reset, reevaluated things, and was like, I think he I think he genuinely loves the competition of it. And he sees that, hey, these new NFL rules and, and the this Tampa Bay Bucks offensive offensive line is gonna keep me clean and injury free. Let's let's go for another championship. And he must have had a discussion with Tampa Bay Buccaneer ownership because uh, I think one of the holdups was he didn't want to have Bruce Arians as a coach. And now he's out of there <laughs> and uh, Todd Bowles has taken over. So I think more um autonomy and more ownership of the offense is is good for for tom at least in his eyes and we'll see if that type of self-awareness him taking more ownership of the offense is going to pay off interesting yeah i mean yeah we'll see i'm not going to doubt him i'm not going to doubt him he 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 always has had really good coaching throughout his career but all right so another more recent topic before we get into the 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 one that armin's itching to get into unless you want to jump into lebron right now um it's on the table. We, 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 brought, we brought him up a few times. Really, the only thing I want to say is this. I, and I have to... We have so we to all know the Lakers had a disappointing yes. season, right? Indeed. And, and we have to address this because, you know, we did have preseason picks uh, like we always do. And, and I, <laughs> I was on the bandwagon. I drank the Kool-Aid. I, I did think that, you know, the Lakers had a shot to go not only to the playoffs, but to the championship having added Russell Westbrook. I, I, who, were, who were your predictions? It was um, Milwaukee uh, coming out of the East, and and then uh, you know the, the 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 Lakers, and I wanted to believe that they had yeah. a shot. I think in my heart, I was I, I I knew that Milwaukee would probably win that 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 series, but I believed that the West was open. You know, okay. I, and I thought, the, that, do you want to uh, be show some self awareness and talk about any biases you had? Yeah, I may have clouded yeah. your judgment. Yeah, obviously, there's no doubt. I but I've seen in in the past LeBron James pull off miracles in the playoffs and just do amazing things and put teams on his back and you know he really didn't show that many signs of falling off last season there's no question that him on the court is you can't really criticize or doubt him on the basketball court but what is this about him kind of the recruiting obviously he has a lot of sway the player empowerment movement that was essentially you could blame him for that or credit him for that he has a lot of power right so you would he has a lot of say in who the Lakers bring in. They brought in Anthony Davis. They pretty much sold the farm to bring in AD. Got a championship in the second or first season with AD. Got a championship in the bubble, and then now had some not as many outs because they don't have the draft picks. But they bring in the I think it's the second or third highest contract in the NBA, Westbrook. And I I mean a lot of people questioned it. I think you were you were trying to be hopeful. And I think in an ideal situation, the person can say, well, ADs gets hurt. LeBron's getting older. He needs some rest. We got, let's bring in a guy that's going to give 110% effort, at least on the offensive end. Rebounds. He can be a ball, ball handler. Let's take the pressure off 
me and AD so we can rest. Obviously it didn't work out. And with that much money, they committed to Westbrook. There, there was a lot of other options there that probably well, would have been better. And, and, and just to be fair, because I, I do have a lot of respect for LeBron James. You guys know he's you know, among my favorite athletes. He, yeah, you know, he, obviously he was involved with this, this deal and signed off on it. You know, at the same time, if you really think about it, LeBron James' legacy of winning championships is pretty much at this stage because in so many intervals, like 19 seasons, like it's, there's a formula to it. He, he, he typically is going to have a cast of three and D guys um, at a minimum, right? In, in, in addition to another playmaker uh, and a, usually a big, you know, a big that, that's reliable, that's going to you know, play defense, be a rim protector, get rebounds, all that great stuff. So it's like everything was there in terms of a slasher and attacker and then a big that was reliable or, you know, so we thought aside from the three and D guys, right? They really didn't have that many three and D guys. They had some, maybe a couple of three guys and Malik Monk, right? And, and maybe, I don't know, what's the, there's, there's a couple of guys um, that could hit some shots, but they typically, I mean, whoever those guys were, they, they certainly weren't good defenders. THT. Um, THT, yeah, there's a couple of guys. And then, you know, they, they had a, maybe some guys that, that had a reputation for defense, like, you know, Trevor Reza, Dwight Howard, Trevor Reza, but we, we learned that, that they were so, that they were aging so much that they couldn't even be reliable for that. So LeBron had essentially really no true defenders in the end and very few, even three guys. So it just wasn't the recipe. It wasn't the recipe for success as a whole. No self-awareness. For the team, you know, for yeah. the franchise, I think. I think you're right. I think we don't know the, the inner workings. We obviously know, like, and no one's going to fool us that LeBron had a lot of say in, in the free agent signings. And I'm sure maybe an article will come out to say that he favored someone else over Westbrook. That, that's the media machine working. But, and, I, and this is more general, just not just talking about LeBron, but obviously high level athletes, that's their strength, right? Their, 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 their ability to play the sport that they get paid millions. Um, for and they get sponsorship deals that's their strength i think i see this with sometimes a lot of athletes is that they venture into other avenues right which i think is great you want to be well-rounded you want to be an advocate for your community you want to do things off outside the basketball court you want to be a, a, a own businesses you want to have your own show on hbo you want to Westbrook has his own um, works with the boys and girls club out here in Los Angeles. He has car dealerships as well. So many different great avenues. Um, and, but the, the thing is, and then some, some players with the player empowerment movement want to even start dipping their toes in the, to the general management field, like be part of the front office, right. And make these deals. And that's all well and fine. And, and some of these individuals are going to thrive and do well in those positions but let's not get it twisted. That's not their strengths. That's not the reason they got to this position. Well, and actually, can, can we go a step further? And, and, and I think some of this type of thing, and it's, it's interesting how the entertainment world and, and media oftentimes follows the, these types of themes. But, you know, there's this new show, um, I believe it's on HBO, about, you know, the old lakers dynasty with with magic it's called i think it's called showtime mm -hmm. um and it depicts kind of like 
you know, the, the bus family and, and the rise of that dynasty and, and, you know, the relationship between magic, the player and, you know, Dr. Bus, the owner and how that might've actually been an issue of contention, you know, in terms of team chemistry. And, and, and this is kind of something that I just wonder how they may have influenced things with the Lakers um, and, you know, LeBron, you know, his involvement within the front office and, and just the impact on the team chemistry. Um, I mean, you never know, right. But this is, a, I think, a, an important reason why players should be players, coaches should be coaches, front office executives should be front office executives, et cetera. Because that way there's no issues as far as allegiances and, and you know, sometimes when those things are, are clouded, it can be disrupted to team chemistry. And there's no doubt in my mind that what happened this season is more than just about how the team was constructed. It's like, there's some team chemistry issues there as well. Yeah. And I think this isn't an extension of, or a fancy way of putting the shut up and dribble type thing. Cause we want athletes to, to venture out and do other things, but we just want there to be some self-awareness. Oh no, 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 no. Yeah. It's definitely not about that. Yeah. Um, it's more about honestly. Yeah. It's more about understanding the situation. Mm -hmm. Right. So like a lot of stuff can be done in the off season, right. You, just like anybody, I mean, anyone has, has, you know, a period of time when they, you know, kind of take some time off, they should, you know, explore and, and you know, do different dimensions of their careers. But when they're, when they're sort of like in it, like back in like, imagine like a teacher back in the classroom, like we want that person to be focused on our kids, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and, and really feeling that not necessarily, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And, and so that's all it is. It's just what's happening in, in, you know, in season, not off season. Just because we have the leverage, just because we have the power, should we take advantage of it? If we're like a LeBron James or a Kevin Durant or Steph Curry and, pretty much any of those franchises at this point are going to bend a knee to them in order to kind of keep them because they know the value that that individual athlete brings to the table. Should those star athletes then kind of abuse their power and be like, okay, I want you to bring in this player. No, I don't want that player and make those types of decisions because ultimately that's not a strength of theirs. That's not what got them to the show. They're not the best. Maybe they're not the best identifying player talent player development for example larry bird he went on to be a coach he wasn't a very i mean he was successful but there you go no the players want to live up to the standards michael jordan is a, the owner of a franchise that ha really hasn't done much so these guys are star-studded athletes the best in their their career path but then they step outside the boundaries and yeah that's not a strength so, but how do you avoid bias? Like, how do you truly avoid bias? I mean, we're talking about friendships, uh, you know, like off the court friendships and, and relationships and, and how, you know, how do those things, you know, kind of affect business decisions. And then here's the other, the other thing, here's the other thing. So with, with uh, like AD, for example, AD is a client of Clutch Sports, right? An agency that, you know, LeBron has some affiliation with. It was TH, so, you know, Tyler Horton Tucker, who also signed a huge deal. THT and different, different things. So those are kind of biases, you know, things that kind of change the nature of the deal and, you know, that have yeah. to be accounted for. And it's tough. I mean, at the end of the day, the Lakers made a decision. They're the franchise, the owner, Jeannie Buss, Polinka. They're in charge at the end of the day. So if they're going to 
give up some of that leverage to LeBron. And, and undoubtedly, when they brought him in, that was probably some conditions, right? Because LeBron's a smart man. He's going to, he's a businessman as well. A lot of these guys, they don't see themselves as just an athlete, they see themselves as a business. He's got a lot of money. But we're not, yeah, he's yeah. got a lot of money. I mean, They're brands. They see themselves as brands. You know, like a billionaire. So, but I think what we saw is a chink in the armor. I think what we saw is this is partially LeBron maybe getting his head over his skis. Uh, like he had to think that the decisions he was making was going to create a championship caliber team. And obviously we have proof that it didn't. Obviously there's a lot of injuries, but hey, guess what? Raise your hand if you, you were surprised by the fact that AD missed a handful of games. No, I don't think anyone's surprised. So it's a chink in the armor, meaning it's a, maybe a lack of self-awareness. It's obviously not a sustainable legacy. He's going to be the, he's going to hold records. He's got the championships legend of the game. Well, it's not, a, not, a, not really on his legacy per se, but you know, certainly the Lakers franchise. I mean, look, anytime you have a team that would be considered like kind of the, the biggest, most popular market in the sport, not making the playoffs. What is it? You know, seven you know, was seven out of the last 10 years, man. That it's, yeah. It's not good. Not, not, and that's, not good trends. The, the pressure's on these guys because if you're going to dip your toes into making kind of managerial or business decisions, especially if it's part of like your sports franchise, you're going to be judged harshly. So you better do your homework. And you better take it seriously. And I, feel, I just feel like it kind of backfired in this situation. So that's kind of an example of maybe a lack of self-awareness to a certain extent, maybe over or like overvaluing your own opinions on what players would be good exactly. for my team. Yep. So, and, and then, you know, we, we, we've been harping a lot on the negative and, and we, we actually are much more positive guys. And there's, there's actually other examples that have taken place recently of where self-awareness goes very right, you know, positive self-awareness. Yeah, absolutely. So March Madness just happened. It was actually, a, I love that tournament. Um, we got the St. Peter's Peacocks underdog story, just a classic underdog story where, uh, found their way all the way to lead eight upset number two, Kentucky took out Purdue. And then unfortunately may only made it as far as the lead eight. They were what a 15 seed. So yeah, still pretty crazy. Yeah. That and we've talked about underdogs. Go check out that podcast. You obviously have a lot, have to have a lot of self-awareness and, and just kind of really own the moment. A lot of times it's easier for the underdog to, to be more in the moment because the pressure is not on them. No, no one's expecting anything from them so they can just play ball. And that's what their coach did. Shaheen Holloway, he ended up actually going to getting a job at Seton Hall, taking advantage of the moment, being self-aware, knowing, hey, um, let's catch lightning in a bottle. Let me go to a higher paying gig, my alma mater. And then three of the top players, um, they're also transferring as well. So taking advantage oh, of the, wow. the momentum that they created with that run, um, trying to get to um, probably bigger programs to have continue to have uh, more opportunities to shine. Speaking of momentum, you know, this guy – Coach K, um, you know, mm. he's been riding that way for quite some time, hasn't he? <laughs> Coach Krzyzewski, man. It was a beautiful Final Four. Actually, I didn't really like it because four blue blood programs. And I, I tend to think that there's a lot of corruption. But that's the NCAA, and that's a story for another time. Coach K, legend of the game. He, he's been in the years, er, 42 years as a head coach at Duke. I think it's 47, right? 47. That's right. Holy cow. And so he's retiring. After well, year. he's got the 47 record. years as head coach, 42 with Duke. So you were right. So NCAA record wins. That's right. 
he passed his mentor, Bob Knight. And he's he's coaching at Duke before I was even born. Like, this is wild. So five national titles, 13 Final Fours, 15 ACC tournament championships, 13 regular season championships. He's only one uh, second to UCLA zone, John Wooden, mm-hmm. and then and championships who had 10. He also has three gold medals with the coaching the U.S. men's Olympic team. I mean, everyone he knows, this guy's decorated. And I think when it comes to him, obviously, he probably embodies all the mental fitness pillars and characteristics. He, he absolutely does. And, and, and speaking of which, I have to give this plug. So, you know, he, he was a graduate of United States Military uh-huh. Academy at West Point. And we also know that the great coach Popovich, San Antonio Spurs, graduated from United States Air Force Academy. And of course, that's my alma mater. So uh, there's great company that I'm in with the alumni of, of these service academies. And I'm really honored to be affiliated with the same program as this guy. There's something about those, those individuals who go to those service academies that they, it sets a good foundation for them for the, for the future to build on. Would you say a, a good mental fitness foundation was laid during your time there? That's pretty much all that was being laid, <laughs> levied day in and day out, oh, getting, you know, getting, it, get, getting this right. Yeah. But, you know, honestly, at the time it sucked and, and I was super cynical. But over time, after it was all said and done, I, I realized the benefits, you know, and, and, and how it helped me through some really tough times down the road. Right on. So I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. So, Coach K, he exemplifies self-awareness and situational awareness when it came to later in his career. So as we know, the um, when the NBA forced essentially college kids, you can't go straight out of high school anymore. You got to go one year before you can come. That entered in the one and done era of college basketball. And all we know, like we know John Calipari at Kentucky kind of took advantage of that early on, had some great teams. That's where Anthony Davis went, John Wall, Marcus Cousins, so on and so forth. And early in the game, Coach K, who had already won multiple championships and is known for his four-year guys, he uh, he didn't like the one-and-done rule. He wasn't for it. He was saying it was kind of ruining college basketball because essentially he was arguing that the NBA is kind of controlling our league in a sense. And, and a few years later, no less than 10 years later, he pivoted and he adapted and then he began taking one and done players. And guess what? Started winning championships again. Yeah. So it was something at first he criticized. And then if you can't essentially that you can't beat him, join him mentality, which means you, he had awareness of in order for me to compete, I need to use my Duke brand, not only for everyone knows Duke is a great institution. And you're going to, if you stay there all four years and you get a degree, you're going to be set up for life. But it's also a basketball brand. He made it into that. And it's, if you want to come here, you're going to get a lot of eyes on you, which is going to be good for sponsorship deals that you want in the future. And guess what? We're going to get you ready for the NBA. So, right. The professionals. No one has done one and done like Coach K yeah. over the last five years. It's not just about basketball players, right? It's sort of like the more than an athlete concept. It's like they're players, but they're also professionals. They're young men, you know, they're high character. If there actually has been a Duke brand, you know, you, you mentioned that earlier kind of in passing, but I, I just I have to comment on that. And, you know, it, it's there because it's evident through the NBA players, like the players that go through that pipeline. There's something that they kind of all have in common. They, they tend to be a little bit more clean cut and professional. 
both in you know sort of their style and disposition and their whole approach to we had the, the game the initials like the grant hill the christian leitner the jj reddicks that was like the i feel like the old school duke that's right and yeah then, almost like yeah like yeah a certain demographic but then it kind of translated to something else i remember grant hill like he was a guy i looked up to you know when i was younger because he was you know a young african-american guy who was great you know just he was right there athletically with everybody else but he was smart too and he was you know put you know well put together you know good looking guy you know kind of had it all you know he was just like a total package and and you know communicated well great leader and um you know high basketball iq and that's what it seemed like the duke brand sort of became mm -hmm. yeah the like jay williams carlos boozer types and then mm -hmm over time more recently the past three years they pivoted getting the to the one and dones the Kyrie Irvings the Austin Rivers Brandon Ingrams the Jason Tatums RG Barrett Zion Williamson and then this year I think they're going to have five maybe five people draft in the first round I think three of which are are freshmen maybe four of which are freshmen including Paolo Benchero who could be the number one pick and he's had success with these guys um, he's won titles with some of them so and I don't think any of the ones I listed, but uh, Tyus Jones, Justice Winslow, Julio Local Four, lesser known one and duns because they haven't been as successful in the NBA, but they were one and duns at Duke and they won a championship. So and this is someone who pretty much changed his whole philosophy. Yeah. And kind of changed the Duke brand a little bit. You know what I like the most about, about what he does for guys is he pretty much says, okay, just like in real life, right? Meaning outside of basketball, if you come to Duke, you're going to be pretty much set you know, in terms of a professional career, you're not going to, you know what I mean? You're going to be okay. You're probably at the top of the game in your industry. He said, I'm going to promise you that because these players, whether they're, you know, high talented guys or low talent guys, like they have lengthy careers. You know, these guys, they're, they, they fit in everywhere because they know the game. Absolutely. And, and Kobe Bryant's famous for saying if he would have went to college, he would have played at Duke because he was obsessed with Coach K. And that means something, obviously, coming from one of the, the, the greatest of all time. And let's face it, I mean, Coach K has a great, had a, an amazing career, arguably, I would say, with John Wooden, the best, one of the best college basketball coaches of all time. We'll get to throw Gino Oriema in there as well, Pat Summit, um, Bob Knight. Definitely. But uh, yeah, and I think it's funny because a new era of college basketball is starting. A new era of NCAA sports is starting with the the NIL, where um, college athletes can now profit over their name, image, and like, likeness. That just started last year. And then also the transfer portal. Essentially, the NCAA is allowing any college athlete to have a one-time transfer where they can they don't have to sit out anymore. You used, used to have to, when you transferred, have to sit out a year. Now you can transfer and play the next year. So this is allowing high-profile athletes to switch schools so kind of about time only it's about time <laughs> yeah it's, a, it's it about sense. time it's, you know it's like free agency it, right exactly they're making it more like profession like a profession you know professional yeah and and, and here's why i think it's a lot it's, more work for coaches though. it's a lot there's a lot of change and a lot of you know you know how how it goes with change you know there's just it's going to be a lot however the reason why it needed to happen is because of the NCAA and their own sort of administrative practices and policies over the years that that really, I think were, you know, and, and what we're, we'll see, you know, as these investigations play out, but it seems like there were some unethical practices 
uh, on on many levels. And whenever that happens, you know, there, there, it's you know things things are are subject yeah. to change, and they should change. And that's that's why I kind of like NIL because it kind of evens the playing field. Because we we know through Adidas uh, or Nike or through Boosters that high profile college athletes at the big time universities, the Blue Bloods whether that's Alabama in football or Miami in football or, or Duke in basketball or Kentucky in basketball, there, there was some, there had to be, there's money getting exchanged some way and somehow. So the NIL now players at all essentially can't college campuses could take advantage of their name and likeness and make money. Obviously it's still going to favor the bigger schools because it's all about advertising, right? Like you're going to pay a player at Alabama football more money than you're going to play a player at, Indiana football, because more people, more eyes are on Alabama, right? Um, so there's still going to be some inequity there. But at the end of the day, I think it will kind of even the playing field. The problem with the, I guess, from a coaching standpoint, and this shows self-awareness to Coach K, he's also 75 years old, so he's nothing else to prove, so he might as well retire. But is now you have to kind of recruit not only your high school players coming in, but you have to recruit players each year because they're free to go and play for your rival if they want to. So it's a different game. I'm seeing. I'm kind of excited to see how how it unfolds. But so hats off to Coach K. That's a legend in the game. I'm gonna miss him because I like watching Duke. I like personally. I usually root for whoever's playing Duke because I like the underdog, and Duke is like the ultimate top dog. So I'm gonna miss Duke, and I'm miss or I'm gonna miss Coach K in that sense. Yeah. No, he's you're right. He's a legend. Um, he's, you know, someone that kind of defines the game of college basketball. Um, so there's really no college basketball without coach K. So it's going to be something hugely missing. You're going to feel like something's missing, you know, when he's gone next year, but, you know, mm -hmm. as you also pointed out, we march on, you know, things are already kind of changing and in flux and, you know, Duke really does have now a long-standing tradition you know and and a legacy of like really something that goes far beyond just coach k um you know he's leaving the program in great hands mm, yeah he's built a brand he's built he's built it to what it is today um because it wasn't there when he started there it's all because of him and the people he's worked with um one one thing i actually wanted to ask you about with regards to him is and we talked about this a little bit already, but do you think that it would maybe a little lack of self-awareness to announce your retirement before the season? And then you have a quote unquote farewell tour with, with a lot more eyeballs yeah. on you that, that maybe not, maybe a lot more pressure that's going to be on you that it might not have been otherwise knowing, Oh, this is coach K's last yeah. game. Oh, this is his last game and Cameron indoor. Let's have all the players come back. Oh, by the way, you're, we're playing our unranked rival who we already blew out earlier in the year. Yeah. And, but Hey, players just play your game. Right. Just ignore everything, all the, all the ceremonies and all the pageantry going on, but just focus on your game. You know, you never, you never know what's know. going on in someone's head. You know, why, why we do the things that, that we do, uh, you know, we'll never know um, what he was thinking at the time that he decided to make that announcement. But I, I must tell you that just, in reflection, not trying to be a Monday morning quarterback or anything like that, but you you do wonder if it puts a certain pressure right on the team because it's, it's a farewell tour. We we want Coach K to go out with a bang. We want to bring him. We want to deliver. You know the yeah. best. Um, and and if that had any influence whatsoever 
on the outcome. You never know. Well, they had a great season. They won the ACC regular season, um, and they went to the Final Four. Unfortunately, got taken out by their arch rival twice. Yeah, that's that's hard. That that hurts. That's just hard. The thing is, how, how do you do that, right? Because recruiting purposes, you don't want to leave the kids you're recruiting in limbo. Because like, okay, obviously you're 75. The clock's ticking. So you name a, a a successor before the season. That kind of clears it up. You're communicating your wishes clearly. So I don't know. It's, it's a it's a tough situation. Uh, Roy Williams kind of just didn't necessarily do that retired after the year last year and he kind of got his own little farewell tour here in the stands during their NCAA tournament so did he uh, ever I bet it was a joy joy to watch his did successor he ever... Hubert, Hubert Davis uh be oh just a couple points away from a national championship yeah it would have been amazing first year coach right amazing absolutely that would have been the biggest story if, if he had pulled it off but hey I must say self-awareness supreme with Williams, right, and and his pick in in Hubert Davis. What a natural fit for the coach of that team. When I when I see, because I followed you know Duke and UNC, so I, I I was very familiar with with Roy Williams and how he presented and what his vibe was. And I feel all of that with uh, Coach Davis. You know, it's just like he's bringing that same energy. It's pretty cool. He's he's actually mm -hmm. a little bit more fiery, which is even even more uh, impressive. But yeah, he's just that same vibe, you know, that it's going to be okay. I, don't, I see, a, I, I see a very, yeah, a steady calmness yeah. about him, because um, he was on ESPN. He did ESPN game, college game day for a while, so he was on. He was a media personality for a while, and he just kind of analytical, calm approach. Oh, absolutely, no, and that's the um, thing. He, he's he's surgical, right? So he knows how to sort of be the energy guy. I don't know if you remember some of those, you know, in in game mm -hmm. press conferences he was he was given uh, with the media during the national championship game but he was fired up you know in that first half definitely an emotional guy too half. though like yeah. in tune and i think in tune self-aware indeed individual but we'll see we'll see great run by them but yeah so let's let, let's move on to the last athlete we wanted to talk about today and, yes sir and arguably could be the, the best the most dominant athlete that, that we talk about um in his respective sport out of all these these legends and it's just someone who's competing right now, and that's Tiger Woods. He's he's coming. Tiger's coming. And it's it, that's the thing with this is his first competition competing at the Masters. As this airs, the Masters hope, hope, hopefully he's in contention right now. First competition in 501 days. He had a horrific accident out here in Los Angeles on February 23rd, 2021, where single car accident. He was the only one injured. We don't know a whole lot about it, but what we do know, we have some quotes here. There was quote unquote significant orthopedic injuries to his right lower extremity. He had to have emergency surgery for open fractures affecting right. both the upper and lower portion of his tibia and fibia bones on his, on his right leg. So he blew out his ankle, crushed it. Open fracture. What does that mean? That means the, the, the bones coming out of the skin. Reservoir for infection. Absolutely. So they had to stabilize by inserting a rod in the tibia and additional injuries to the bones of his foot and ankle were repaired with screws and pins. To relieve pressure from swelling, the doctors had to remove the covering of his muscles to prevent um, compartment syndrome. Right? What is that, man? What is a compartment? Because you can lose your leg with that, right? Yeah. Pressure builds up. If swelling pressure builds up so much, it clamps down on the blood vessels so you can't get any oxygen to the, to the muscle, to the area. So things die without blood and, blood and oxygen. Um, so he, Woods has said shortly after, lucky to be alive, uh, also lucky to have a limb. It was, I guess, a 50-50 chance, according to him, whether or not his uh, 
foot had to be amputated. He said, and this is kind of a journey of, of mental fitness on his comeback. So shortly after he talked about quote unquote, I'm so grateful for the outpouring of support and encouragement that I've received over the past few weeks. You gotta be, you, you gotta be. And we've talked about, it. it's easy to be grateful when you have a near death experience, right? It kind of puts things in perspective. It forces you to take stock because you face essentially face death. You face the end of it all. And it's funny how that always sparks us to have gratitude. And that's why we try to talk about or incorporate that sense of gratitude into every day. But here he has that moment of gratitude. And then slowly but surely, because people were questioning, is this guy, is he going to be able to walk again? Is he going to be able to play golf again? Is he going to be able to play competitive golf? Is he ever going to be able to actually compete and compete at majors, compete at really difficult golf courses? And he talked about how this kind of recovering it's in still eight, less than a year ago. He's still in a boot and crutches talking about how this injury was a different animal. Cause he's been through a lot of different injuries, back surgeries, but he was talking about how this is more painful than anything he's ever experienced. This is someone who had five back surgeries and six procedures on his left knee during his career. So right. definitely been through right. surgery and been right. through rehab, but that probably sure he gained experience from those comebacks and he's obviously won. So since those comebacks, so he kind of has that self-awareness of, I've been here before that situational awareness and, and that strength of, Oh, I can get through this, but this one's a little bit more challenging. So he, he was, he was definitely aware of the situation, but he focused in, he said, my physical therapy has kept me busy. I'm doing my routines, routines every day. And this was around kind of May of last year. He said, my number one goal right now is to walk on my own, taking one step at a time. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's just amazing. You know, it's amazing. It is you know, huge, hugely inspiring, you know, just to kind of sit back as a fan and, and watch all the things this guy has been through. And you, you think to yourself, man, could I do that? You know, could I go through all that? And then back? physical injuries. I, 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 I don't know. I don't think I, emotional injuries. As I, well. I've been, you know, I've been through a lot myself, you know, we, we've, we've been through our kind of into, or was intellectual academic battles, you know, but Lord knows, I, I, I don't, I don't know how I could just kind of, get back to a high level of athletic greatness right after, mm -hmm. after such a terrible injury. I and mean, this is a life altering. Injury. Yeah. Yeah. And then throughout his recovery into November, he showed signs of, he was posted something about him swinging a golf club again. And he did an interview at that time. And he talked about how after his back fusion, he had to climb Mount Everest one more time. And when he said that he's meaning get to the top of the mountain, be the best golfer in the world. He said, he, he said in November that, he, I can still participate in the game of golf if my leg's okay, but he, and he's, he's, he's admitting that he's not going to be able to climb that mountain again. He said, but as far as climbing the mountain again and getting all the way top, I don't think that's a realistic expectation. So he's reevaluated his goals and his expectations through this rehab process. He's saying here that his goal isn't to be the best player in the world anymore. His goal is to get out there and compete again. It's crazy. And, you know, and I, but I think the real key to his journey, this particular wellness journey is, is the, the gratitude, right? Like, you know, I think Tiger's always been a pretty mindful guy. You know, I mean, obviously visualization is a strength that he's had for a long period of time. It's been probably, you know, the secret to his success. Um, very highly focused person and, you know, can definitely achieve that zone. That's kind of what's separated him from the field. However, 
gratitude, right, is something that he it resonated a lot. And I, and I think when you go back in history to, to some of the, you know, the, the, the relationships that were lost early in his life um, in terms of the divorce and, and the other things that happened. Losing his father. The controversy, the father passing and, and, and all these things, you know, you realize that maybe that, that, that was an inflection point for him in which he had to take a closer look at things. And, and certainly and now... Like- the gratitude, yeah. right, is like the thing that's that's echoing. The gratitude he has, and and you said based on that, like he has these strong relationships. Obviously, it's well documented his relationship with his father, and then his father passed away. His his mentor in golf, he struggled, took some time off, missed missed a cut at a major, bounces back, has the incident with the uh, his wife at the time, and essentially after that, people were questioning whether or not he'd ever win a ma- major again, and he went through a slump and his standards but he climbed back up the mountain and when he won the last masters a couple years ago and he hugs his, his son charlie at the end of it very reminiscent to when he won the masters as a kid and, and hug, hugged his father that is just a beautiful moment of of, of gratitude and appreciation oh, yeah. and of, of love and i think that's that those are the things that are that are motivating for him i think losing his father at a young age I mean, we don't, I mean, this is all speculation, but it's someone losing their father at a fairly young age um, and someone who is that meaningful to him, it's going to affect you. And I think coming, coming full circle and, and finding out, oh, there's other people in my life that mean just as much like my own kids, my family, and, and I can play for them. And I can, that, that gives you that re- renewed yeah. sense of gratitude yeah. and energy. I can play for them for mm-hmm. them because he doesn't have like a team right out yeah. there right to compete with so he's it's for them i love that these are grounding <laughs> forces right gravity yeah. you know and then it, it's the like beautiful that. thing is december in december of last year he played a in, a in a golf tournament with his son and that was like oh look at this they're coming back i think they did fairly well i think they got second place to uh john daly and his son who his son plays college golf at university of arkansas so not too bad for tiger and uh, charlie woods who's probably like 12 years old um yeah man it looks like he's got it yeah, we'll see yeah but then so no one knew he was going to play the masters and up until he said it was going to be a game time decision and he made the decision and he's playing and right now as of taping this he's one under after thursday and he's tied for 11th only uh, four strokes back so He's in the mix. Hopefully that, that ankle can, can stand up because we know that, found out that evidently the Masters is one of the most hilly golf courses. There's not really a flat lie anywhere and you're going to be walking up and down hills all day. So it's tough. These guys have, I mean, people don't think golf's a physical sport, but you're on your feet walking for 18 holes, several hundred yards for five, six hours. So that can put some strain on you. Yeah, man. And uh, especially if you got a little, little pain, you know, you, you tweak something. I mean, it's, a, it's all about mental fitness, mental toughness, focus, right? And, and when you have pain, you can't, you can't focus. Yep. So it's tough. So he's four strokes back and I, I watched, watched him today and it's just, it's, it's just electric to see him out there. He's wearing like a hot pink mock neck, just the style, the swag he's got. He's, he's <laughs> out there style, cursing. Man. 
fist pumping. There was a beautiful fist pump when he made a birdie. I think it was on 16. And the crowd is like, obviously, you know, the whole crowd is following him. Obsessed with everything he does. And it's at this beautiful backdrop of the Masters. Um, And that's, I mean, that's Tiger's course, essentially. This this is like, I'm not counting him out. Hopefully he's right there come Sunday. Can't count him out. I want to be surprised. I want to be surprised. Can't count him out. That's that's the thing, man. I, I always go back to that quote. Just such a beautiful quote. I, I can't remember the old you know, college, I think it was college basketball coach, but you know, never underestimate the heart of a champion. You know, there's not a lot of champions out there. You know, there there aren't that many, and there's certainly not that many multiple time champions you could say you could substitute that out and say never underestimate the heart of tiger woods and it for most people that might ring more true than even like tiger woods is more is almost greater than just a champion right he's more than that um you know he he's 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 the greatest of champions right so yeah that's right and let's let's not forget all that and he's he's 46 years old so this isn't it's tough for anyone to come back from a bunch of open fractures in your in your leg to play a, a sport just over a year after that happening, let alone a 46 year old. But we know uh, we know the grit, we know the resilience and the mental fitness this guy has. So it's not surprising that he's playing. I mean, when I first heard, I was like, oh, I actually didn't wasn't sure he was actually going to play competitive golf. But it's amazing. That's one of the one of the few times I tune in to watch golf is when he's playing. It's. I'm one of those guys. I think it's case for a lot of people. I think it's case for a lot of people, which is which is why it's so it, it's so important, you know, uh, to the to even the game, you know that that Tiger is able to achieve this success because he he's able to inspire everybody, you know, like even people that that wouldn't traditionally watch the sport. That's what's so amazing about it. Yeah, and I, we've talked about it before, but the the game of golf in and of itself, it's it's more mental fitness than anything. Obviously, your body has to hold up, but it's about control. It's about being self aware. It's about being mindful and controlling your emotions and making sure you control your thoughts so they don't impact your swing. And all because of what you talked about earlier, that momentum in golf. What's the hardest thing once you hit a crappy shot? You have to get focused. You have to have a short-term memory. Uh, so much precision. Have to be. You have to. That 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 follow-up shot has to be either as good or better. Here's the thing. Like, if if you want to be a champion, right? If you want to win at a high level in any any competition, I like to use a boxing analogy, and it's it's about you know you first have to have you know. Uh, obviously a good solid go-to punch right like you have to have whether it's your right hook or you know whatever a knockout punch okay like but you have to know what that is right when you set that up you set the table you have to know what your go-to move is okay but a lot of people have a go-to move okay lots of guys are going to have trained like you train and done what you you know what you've done you have to be prepared for that right so it's not actually your punch you know your primary punch your primary move that matters it's actually your counter punch that matters most okay your defense matters much right it's like you have to 
know who you are and you know have that like I said that 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 initial attack that offensive strategy right but it's also anticipating what your opponent would do right and then actually following up with a great counterpunch that's how you get the knockout you've been studied they know who you are what you're bringing to the table they know you're you, you know you can study offense mm -hmm. yeah right defense you can't necessarily study right like that's something in fact that you know can sort of really change and adjust on the fly because it's really mostly driven by effort and energy and just who wants it more counterpunch right have a counterpunch have a great counterpunch and if if and when your counterpunch right the thing they don't see coming becomes better than your punch you know like your primary move that's that's when you become a champion right that's when you become a champion that's next that's level. Next Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Mike Tyson. So it's, it's about being able to balance your emotions in the moment, essentially. That's what that's about. Counterpunching, bouncing back from getting punched in the face. It's about cha channeling your emotions and taking advantage of the momentum of the situation. Anyone can execute a game plan, but that goes out the window when something bad happens taking what the defense gives so it's you. all about refocusing recentering and getting after it so for like in golf if you hit a bad shot get your emotions under control and don't compound that by hitting another bad shot because you're going to feel that negative energy and you're going to feel that anger maybe you're going to maybe have thoughts spiral in your head about oh i should have hit it this way should you use that club oh oh it shouldn't have fell into the water like that those are all distractors from the moment. Those aren't going to be helpful or useful. Step up, focus on the next shot, figure out what you got to do and get there. And Tiger Woods is one of the best of that. Conversely, if you hit a good shot, right? Don't settle, right? Don't get complacent. Okay, be steady. Okay. Act like you've been there before. And be prepared to hit another good shot, if not even better shot, a great shot. That's how you win. And a, a perfect example of being mindful and in the moment, Tiger Woods today, Masters, I heard the announcers talk about it. Um, it was the par three, par three 12, tough par three. There's a It's the one with the water in front of it on the green. So you got a water and a bunker. So you, and the pin placement, big green. So the green, I wish I could draw a picture. Anyways, big giant green, the pin so just so happens to be behind the bunker. If you go to the left, it's not by the, on, of the green, it's not by the pins. So you're going to have a long putt, right? But you're going to avoid the possibility of going in the bunker, or you should just go right for the pin, go right over the sand trap, right over the water into the pin. And that's the risky shot, right? Because if you hit it short, you go on the sand or in the water. And if you hit it long, there's another bunker. But if you hit it to the left, you have a lot more green to land the ball in, but you're not going to be close for your birdie putt. So most likely you're giving up a birdie. Sure. For you're trying to get a par instead of a bird instead of going for broke essentially. So Tiger Woods, this is a moment of mindfulness for him, and obviously he's played Augusta a lot. And I wouldn't have picked up on this unless the announcer said it. <laughs> he shot. Where, where do you think he shot it? Because the following hole is a par five, and right. Tiger Woods always, when he wins the tournament, right. shoots under on par fives. So with the following hole being a par five, what's he going to do on this par three day one of the Masters? Is he going to go for broke or well, is he going to settle? I mean, we're really talking about Tiger Woods. So you, you, you've got to go for it. 
Got to go for it. Never settle. No, he settled. Really? Is that because he knew he was going to take it on the par five? Yes. So he knows yeah. the danger. So this is what he knows this is the, the danger. Oh man, this is the foresight because he's been there. I love that. I love that. And I think it was Tony Finnell in the group behind him. Yeah. He went for broke and he went in the water. Wow. So he he got the guy. So here's the thing. That's that's what you that's that's psychological warfare, mm -hmm. right? It's it's understanding your opponent. So your opponent thinks, okay, I got him on the ropes. But then what he doesn't realize is that this next hole, right? It, it, this is my hole. Like this is me. And, you know, uh, the, you know, my opponent's now complacent, right? Mm -hmm. I got him. I caught him slipping, right? He, he got caught. He got caught slipping. He's looking at the big picture. He's done this before. He knows that, all right, I might be able to gain one stroke here, but I could also lose two strokes. Good. So why would I do that on the, on the, on the first day of the tournament? And I got a par five coming up and I crush those. So that's just a, a example of, of having that awareness um, that we're talking about. And that's why Tiger Woods is one of the best all time. And if I, I hope he wins another major, I'm really, really hoping that. So let's go ahead and wrap up. Daddy, I Daddy, think it was a great conversation it. about awareness yes. and self-awareness. And I, that's, um, that's another one for us. I think we're going to come back next month. I think do a podcast on mixed martial arts or UFC or combat sports and talk specifically about that. Hey, looking forward to it, man. So, Hey, listen, I mean, while we're at it, let's listen to stigma and continue the conversation. Boom.